Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Very quickly into it, I will say, you know, look, here's my story and lay it out there so nobody will ever say, you know, God, she hid that well. Whereas for years, when they found out, when I had my mental breakdown, people were like, oh my God, I never knew. You know, you were so happy, you were so this, because it was just a big act. Welcome to Grief Encounters with me, Sasha Hamrog. And I'm Venetia Quick. We're a weekly podcast that looks at an issue that affects us all and yet remains so difficult to talk about. We'll be chatting to guests from all walks of life on the subject of death and all that comes with it. Our main aim is to motivate, comfort and create a modern space for people to share their own experiences. Could you think of someone that could benefit in listening? Tell them about Grief Encounters out every single Tuesday. This week on the podcast, we spoke to Nikki Hayes about minding your mental health after a bereavement. And this is a really important topic um, because a lot of people who have existing mental health issues Mm -hmm. um, or conditions that they've been diagnosed with and then they lose someone they love, it can be a really, really difficult time. Um, And difficult than probably most of us who don't suffer from something could even imagine. So it's probably going to be an enlightening conversation for anyone who, who does have those struggles. Nikki has borderline personality disorder which she has spoken openly about in her book. You know, it's not something that people know a lot about. And I think she sheds a lot of light as to what the condition is Mm. really all about. Yeah, no, I think it is very interesting because I think all of us who have lost somebody go through periods where, you know, might just go, I don't want to get up in the morning Mm. or you go to that dark place and you have to pull yourself back from it because... Especially mm. if you kids and stuff, there's no, there's yeah. no you, you can't go there. Can't live there, yeah. Um, and I think sort of the ability to be able to pull yourself back is a huge thing to be able to do. Yeah. So if you think of somebody who has existing mental health issues, mm. that must be so much harder to oh, do. Of course, because there's less control, yeah. I suppose, of it, and it's 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 a more difficult. Uh, process to navigate and I suppose as well like you know the whole process of grief and living through grief and missing the person and basically trying to navigate every day Mm. is so difficult so that compounded with sure something that's already there must be just horrendous yeah and Nikki really um, speaks so bravely about it and it was great to have her on the show As many of us know, the loss of a loved one can often trigger perhaps a dip in your mental health, which makes grief an extremely difficult thing to overcome. 
This, however, can be made a lot more difficult if these conditions are already pre-existing. Now, our guest this week is broadcaster and author Nikki Hayes. In recent years, she's been a huge advocate in speaking out about BPD, borderline uh, personality disorder, which she suffers from. And she's here today to speak to us about the difficulties in minding your mental health, particularly after a bereavement. Uh, Nikki, you're very welcome, first of all. The dip in your mental health after bereavement half the time, I don't think you know you're having. In my own experience, I remember two specific occasions when I felt that I'd reached a dark place or was heading to that dark place and just quickly pull myself back. What happens when you can't pull yourself back? Well, you kind of go into denial, to be honest. Um, One of the big things for me was we had a couple of years in our family where there was a lot of deaths. So we had my granny, my granddad, my dad, my niece, all in the space of five years. And um, I kind of thought, you know, I'm I'm getting used to this. I was the one in the family that was always asked to do the eulogy because of my profession. So I was kind of like, I'm on top of all this. And then all of a sudden, you know, you go down, you go down, you go further down and you realise, you know, crap, uh, how do I get out of this? Mm. And that's when you start to panic. And I think because I was undiagnosed with the borderline personality disorder, around that time it made things a lot more difficult but it is hard to kind of get out when you're already kind of sucked into that area. Mm. And borderline personality disorder um, I have someone very close to me that has it so I know a lot about it and it's a very complex Mm -hmm. thing to diagnose. A lot of times people live into their teen years or their 20s or their 30s or even beyond having it and the people around them not knowing why they're behaving the way they are Mm -hmm. and it's, it's very difficult for the people who are listening to this episode I don't think there is a, a lot out there about what it what it really is. Could you kind of your interpretation or how it, you feel it is for you, what it's all about? Well, exactly what you said. It's extremely complex uh, to diagnose, which is why I was in my 30s when I finally got a diagnosis. But, you know, looking back, they said, you know, you've really had this kind of forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, they kept misdiagnosing it as depression, anxiety, eating disorder, suicidal tendencies, self-harm, because they're all components of it. So in order to qualify for the diagnosis, you have to have shown these traits you know kind of consistently over the years as well so unfortunately it takes you know for you to go through a lot of misdiagnosis before they actually kind of put everything together and go oh this is what you have so there's a thing called the DSM-5 basically it's nine different criteria and you have to have five out of the nine in order to get the diagnosis I've got seven out of the nine which means I'm very much Mm. borderline personality disorder So that would have been something you had since you were a child They think so they think it's something that yeah that definitely um, they say it's triggered by childhood trauma or something that happened in your childhood but I mean there's been many different things that have happened while I was growing up but like you don't know if it's specifically that or if it just was there all the time anyway you know so my father suffered with anxiety so you know mental health was always something that was in the family so I'm not really sure exactly when it started but they feel it it was there kind of from a young age Okay, Just talking about your dad there because your dad passed away when you were 28 Yeah, which is an incredibly difficult time as it is. How did you deal with that and then dealing with this undiagnosed condition at the same time? What what was that time like? How did you act or react? It was hectic looking back at it because me and my dad did everything together. I never had the relationship with my mum that most girls would have. It was just me and dad for everything. Mm. So when he went, it was like, you might as well have taken half me away as well because it was just, I didn't know how to cope or act or do anything without him. I mean, he'd been dying for quite a while and he was in the hospice and I just kind of went into complete denial. It was like, you know, he's not going, you know, he's definitely not dying. And I just completely pushed it away from me. Mm. And when he did go, I think I was in complete shock then. Um, But it took a year for me to actually 
comprehend the fact that he's gone and he's not coming back and um, that was kind of hard because I thought everything was fine and I dealt with the grief and you know I'm over it or whatever and I was out kind of a lot of the time partying and having a great time and then all of a sudden it was like you know that's reaction though yeah yeah yeah, it was like you know there was three nights a week four nights a week five nights a week you know alcohol involved and then all of a sudden it becomes unmanageable and you realise oh crap something something else is going on here I'm Mm. really not dealing with things I think that's so great that you're bringing that up because Mm. a lot of times there's these misconceptions that grief is always like you're locked in a room and you're really sad and you're depressed Mm -hmm. and oftentimes there's that the denial can make you like almost feel like manic and up and Mm. out and doing things Mm, and and drinking and Mm. partying and reckless behavior because you've lost your center Mm -hmm. so like reckless behavior or doing like drinking a lot is kind of like stuff doesn't matter as much anymore so you can kind of like be careless with yourself Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times people are very embarrassed when that's happening because people are kind of thinking or judging there's that side of the mm. judgment of you should be this way mm-hmm. you shouldn't be that way did you feel like you were even aware of what people around you were kind of interpreting your behaviour at the time I remember my own family being very like you know would you ever cop on kind of you know so you know why are you being dramatic why are, why are you you know being wild is a, is a word they used to use an awful lot but that's something that would have been tied into me you know over a couple of years because of yeah. the BPD as well so when I finally did crack and I, I just broke I, you know it was like he's gone and he's not coming back and I remember curling up into a ball one day and just sobbing and you know and this is year two now yeah this is this, he's already yeah. gone a year and I remember just sobbing and like crying like a baby saying I want mm. my daddy and you yeah. know literally and that's I just literally went back into like you know like the fetal yeah. position and just mm. I want I want my daddy and that's it and like and I remember um, a guy I was seeing at the time and you know he got very angry at me and it was kind of you know why are you acting like this you know he's not yeah. coming back and you know which I guess I was acting like a child but it was almost like Somebody who doesn't understand grief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of people would say, and this has come up a lot, that the second year is hugely more difficult than the first year because Mm -hmm. you react a certain way in the first year, whether it's locking yourself in a room, whether it's going out from boredom or loneliness or just wanting to forget about everything, to however you react the first year tends to be that sort of blurry time when everyone's mm-hmm. sort of there it's the second year so how yeah. far into the second year were you before it was literally coming up on his anniversary that May and um, mm. that's when things started to yeah, yeah yeah and it was kind of I guess you feel that guilt as well that you know you're carrying on with everything and they're, they're a year gone now you know and, and maybe that's when it starts to hit you that you know things shouldn't be so normal things Which shouldn't be also no time this time last year that you used to be able yeah. to say this time last year we yeah. all did that so we did it. it's this time Two years ago. Exactly. Yeah. And one thing that really hit hit me hard was when his voicemail disappeared off his phone. Um, mm. So that's something that obviously they hold for a certain number of months and then it's gone. Okay. I think we need to <laughs> we need to contact these phone companies because yeah. this has come up Talk in so multiple, many times. I- yeah. multiple episodes of the podcast. It happened to me as well. And it's devastating. Yeah. That yeah. last voicemail gets deleted. Mm-hmm. I genuinely think we need to like <laughs> there should be something in place. I know mm. that there's a um an organization in the UK that actually has sort of a how to on their website about how to make sure that those messages don't get mm. that you yeah. save them. But it's such a hard thing to say to someone like especially in those first few days after like by the way, don't get rid of those voice messages. Mm. Yeah. Because maybe that person might be feel really frightened by that like, well, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, gonna, what's going to happen? It actually if I don't came have up him. in one of the interviews we did in London. Yeah, that it, so it's over there as well. It's yeah, not just it's just yeah. here. So it's definitely something I think. Yeah. We need to explore. And those can a little be bit. like triggering moments, right? Totally, when yeah, something yeah. when the last thing is gone. I remember with my mom, and I don't know what this is about, but for some reason all of her stuff keeps breaking, all the things I have of hers. Like the cat knocked something over, my daughter dropped something, my husband broke a measuring cup by accident, I broke the necklace that it just I don't know but I feel like the message is don't hang on to physical things too much but the point being that these moments can be very triggering and especially if you already have things that that trigger you in terms Mm -hmm. of your mental health were you able to sort of see that from a broad point of view while it was happening or could you not really see the wood for the trees? Not really because the only thing I kept um, of my dad's when he died was his dressing gown because he was in the hospice mm. so he used to wear this navy dressing gown all the time but I used to put that on and then if I was upset I'd be even like mm. I'd, I'd be bawling like like I said a baby I'd go into the yeah. fetal position. It's the smell though. It's, it's everything that, it's just yeah. that I felt close to him when I mm. had the dressing gown on um, so I did have to come to a point where the dressing gown had to go up into the attic yeah. because it was just like this is not doing me any good you know um, because I knew all I had and to when do did you, when did you do it? See, I'm, this is in the fact, second year though it's the second yeah, year yeah. I think that's something we need to talk about as well is like the clothes yeah and mm. the items yeah. of clothing and the I went through a stage for about two months after Martin died where I just he had the scarf that he was wearing towards the end because it was really cold it was February and every evening once the kids were in bed I put, put the scarf on mm-hmm. and it's sort of this few things like that when do you decide Right, really, we've got to go through the clothes. When oh. does that happen? It's so hard because I know when my dad passed because we were expecting it. We, I mean, he had cancer and he was on the morphine drip, so mm. it was coming. We knew, but you still don't process it. You still no. you're, you're in denial, you know. But I remember it was kind of a couple of weeks later. My mum got very much into I'm going to organise everything and never really gave us the opportunity to come in and can help mm. with it so when we eventually and I understand that was her way of mm. having to deal with you know her grief but when we finally came into it there was certain small parts left that we were able to you know take for ourselves mm. like someone took a watch I took the dressing gown but we are left with very small parts of stuff to take but she did it very quickly because that's what she needed to do mm. whereas I think I probably would have waited you know a lot mm. longer than that because I would have wanted to have been around stuff a little bit longer so. and I think that one like we've talked about grief being unique to everyone mm-hmm. but definitely I think the process of getting rid of things or keeping things is very unique mm-hmm. um, I know my husband had to intervene eventually with my dad's stuff because I was going from apartment to apartment in my you know early 30s carrying bags and bags of my dad's stuff mm-hmm. like bags and bags and bags like mm-hmm. suitcases yeah and he had to kind of very gently sit down with me and sort of say like, okay, I know how important these things are to you, but what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> What's yeah. happening here with this? Because I mean like a closet full of, you know, and you, you know, in living in Dublin spaces, there aren't closets everywhere abound. So mm. sometimes it takes a gentle, you know, someone coming in. Mm. Um, mm. But then at the same time, if someone got rid of something without your permission, it's a very tricky mm. area. Yeah. And families, that's something we talk a lot about, how families deal with things. A lot of times it pulls people, really pulls them apart. You think mm-hmm. it's a time to come together. Yeah, no, we were pulled apart. Um, my father was definitely the gel of the family. You know, if any of us were arguing or something, he'd be the one to say, he'd, he'd nearly bully Step you back in. together yeah. again. You know, your, your sisters, for God's sake, mm. you know, and push you back together again. But definitely when he died, everybody started living their own life. And mm. it was like, instead of just being, you know, a family, we were very yes. much individuals. Yeah, yeah, I think that tends to happen though. Mm. I mean, I think, there's always somebody who's the gel Mm. and no matter how much you sort of try and keep the sort of tradition or maybe try and once a month do the sort of meet for lunch whatever eventually 
that'll sort of dissipate yeah. if there isn't that gel mm-hmm. that keeps it together. Now you're so many years down the line. How how do you feel now? How has your grief changed? Um, I guess I manage it better is probably it. There are moments when it comes back and it feels like he's just gone now, you mm. know, um, and it can be very much a song or a smell or, you know, s- small. <laughs> yeah, But, but yeah. things that you kind of think, whoa, you know, how did that hit yeah. me so quick? For one of the things is Luther Van Dross dance with my father. We played that at his funeral and all I have to do is hear the first bars of that yeah. and the tears well up. It's like an mm. automatic thing. Um, and then, you know, obviously I go see his grave, you know, when you're that close to him. Um, um, the feelings all well up again and my niece is actually buried just across the way from him so that's always hard because it's the two and two very different generations you know him and his granddaughter so that can be kind of really hard as well but um, it's it, it tends to be smells or you know a memory sometimes you know you just remember something and I still have that moment sometimes where you know something good happens and I go oh I must ring dad yeah, yeah, you know and yeah. you can't and that, yeah that stays with you for so yeah, long yeah I don't know how anxiety plays a role for you Mm -hmm. but it's obviously a big part of mental health especially now a lot of people really do struggle with it and one of the quotes that struck me so much after my mother died was C.S. Lewis I hadn't seen it when my dad had died I don't know how maybe I wasn't as involved in this sort of world but was that I never knew grief felt so much like fear Mm -hmm. and anxiety is such a huge part of and not knowing why so suddenly you know heart palpitations and, and overthinking I mean I remember going to the GP and just saying like I just need something to get me through these next few weeks in terms of like sleep, like some mm-hmm. Xanax or something yeah. because I really couldn't. I was like, it was really, really high anxiety time for me. Was that something that played, or is because I know it's part of borderline. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a big part of it. Was that something that was heightened in grief? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I found myself very fearful of the world, to be honest, of how how I was going to live without him because he was such a close part of my life. Like we literally were like the, my aunts used to call us Bill and Ben because we did everything together. So <laughs> you know, when he was gone, I was very fearful of how was I going to do the normal things in life without him. How was I going to you know go to work during the day? How was I going to do this and that? And then when I had my daughter five years ago. So obviously he was long gone at that stage but all the emotions came back yeah. up again because it was like my my dad would have loved her you know and it was that not having her there like she she knows all about Grandpa Pat and Grandpa Pat lives in the sky yeah. and that you know and there's pictures of him around the house and she knows that and if you ever say to her what's your granddad's name she'll say her, her granddad is living but she'll also say Grandpa Pat yeah. you know so he's very much a part of her life and that's the way I've made it but the anxiety comes back at moments when you think how, how can I do this without them mm. you know and you feel you know how can how can I move on Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for a safe haven to express how you feel, share articles, photos, and memories of your loved ones, join the Grief Encounters Facebook group, a place for support, compassion, and empathy for those grieving. Venetia and I have talked a lot about this. Did it bring up your own mortality for you? Because I think we talked about like in those in, in grief, there's mm. that fear that you're going to die as well. Because mm. suddenly dying do. is like, yeah. I mean, yeah. like suddenly it's it's a real thing that you mm. didn't even yeah. that can actually happen. You're <laughs> not invincible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think when you have kids as well, yeah. you become more. I mean, I would be very like that sort of mm. like, what if happens if someone something happens to me and, mm. you know, I know where the kids will go, but like, will they know enough and yeah. will that person know enough to look after yeah. the blah, blah, blah. Do you find you sort of think about you're it slightly more. on edge sometimes? Yeah, 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 totally. And I actually, when I was younger, um, used to say a stupid thing and I don't know why, but when I was in my 20s, I used to say I'll be dead before I'm 40. Now I'm 40 in May. So that's played on my head a lot. <laughs> so I know, you know, so a lot over the last couple of months I've had mm. that and the fear as well. And I mean, I'm a single mum, so my fear is, you know, does her dad keep her here in Dublin or does he move her back to where his parents are and she doesn't know anybody up there. Yeah. So, you know, you know, that kind of fear, her life is here in Dublin mm. and, you know, um, silly little things like that, you know, and, and you know, if, if she goes there, will they know that this is what she likes and this is what mm. she likes. And, and then, you know, almost I can't sleep because I'm awake all night thinking what's going to happen if I die and who's going to look after and, you know, um, it's sort of where irrational are they, they going to lay it? me out? Yeah, you know, yeah, all yeah. this, you know, it's, it's but it becomes this irrational mm. thing yeah. sometimes when it's in your head. Yeah, yeah. But you even said, where do they lay me out? That's sort of stuff you probably didn't think about before you saw someone laid out. Yeah, mm. yeah, Those yeah. are suddenly you thinking about, and in a positive way, and I think we've mm. also talked about this, like you sort of maybe are more cognizant of how you'd like, if if it were to happen, mm. and especially if you were to be sick for a period of time, so you had some preparation, what you would like it to be like, or what, I mean, mm. look, yeah. God knows, so few of us have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. But did it make you think a little bit more about how you'd like things to be for yourself? Oh, yeah. Like, I, I've definitely, um, you know, and especially with BPD, you can, you know, you can think about when you're on a bad spiral down, you can think about, you know, death an awful lot. And um, I, I very much would have thought of how things are going yeah. to be. And, you know, but I also have that kind of fear that, you know, I'm separated from my husband, my family, we all kind of do our own thing. So I've even had the point where who takes my body now? You know, like, you know, that where do I go? Yeah. You know, and she's too young to us, you know, so mm. you do, you, and that's the irrational fear kind of again. That's going to be a whole <laughs> thing to think about. So um, it's, it's scary, yeah. like when you think about that, because yeah. if you have time, fair enough, you're going to have time to think it out. But you know, you have that fear yeah. of what happens if it's a sudden thing, and yeah. you know, um, but it's irrational. But, oh, it's, but maybe it is something that you should talk to somebody mm. about. I mean, we're going to do at some point a practical funeral mm. planning type mm. episode. I think. I mean, I remember after Martin died, I remember saying to my best friend that I'd very clear ideas now on what I wanted for my funeral and I remember just turning around going okay no pressure so <laughs> it's a, but it sort of is that thing that yeah. you do then suddenly it's like 
it's in your much more head. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like it's not the nicest thing to be thinking about, but you know, it's mm. something that's inevitably going to happen. And and yeah. maybe, like you say, we do need to think more yeah. about how and and where and, and yeah. when. You know, in terms of healthcare and GP care and things like that, I think empathy is like so vital mm-hmm. in those weeks and months, mm. especially following. It's not always there, though. Um, I think a lot of people, from what we've heard, kind of go to their GP at some point, whether it's I suddenly think I have every disease under the sun Mm. or I need some Xanax to go to sleep Mm. or I am sick all the time or all of those physical things. Do you think that they're met with or did you feel you were met with the kind of care that you needed from a professional Mm. in those kind of... I was because I'd been through the mental health system a couple of times as it was, so I had a history. So I remember when I went funnily enough for Xanax and sleeping tablets because my anxiety was so high and I wasn't sleeping properly um, they were given to me without question because of my history but I think maybe if I didn't have the history maybe it isn't you know looked at it's kind of you know well you have to get through this just pull yourself together everybody goes through it at some stage Um, because I know friends of mine who've had tough times and they've been told this is just normal you know know, but they might need that extra bit of help at the time but yeah I think because I had a history I was taken a little bit more seriously so Mm. Have you ever spoken to anybody is there any kind of community in terms of borderline like talking about grief or talking about those kinds of life events that come up is there anything like that is there any help in something like that no unfortunately it's something I've talked about with other I've networked with quite a few people with BPD from my stay in hospital there's a couple of girls I was on the ward with and we're really good friends and we still stay friends yeah. and then people online on social media and stuff that one thing that we really realise is especially in Ireland there is no support for yeah. BPD it's, it's it's another thing that comes up a lot for yeah. different not just yeah. obviously BPD but for different whether it's yeah. miscarriage or for various different things that mm. the Lack of support, mm-hmm. and it would seem to me that with grief there just needs to be more support. Yeah, yeah. that there is there needs to be blanket real yeah. places support. That can go. Yeah, I mean, no matter with, what the, the what I would imagine with BPD from the person I know that suffers with it, there's a lot of very low self esteem from a young age yeah. because of the behaviors were causing like people to be very harsh and hard on this person, mm-hmm. um, on uh, in a really sad kind of way because there was no reason for that because if everyone understood the condition, it would have been a much more compassionate sure. environment. Mm-hmm. But if someone else were to say, "I used to do that when I was 12 or 13," I was was just like that. I used yeah. to get into these kind of arguments or I used to do this. Or I, which I feel like that would almost be very healing to hear mm. someone else say, because I know with grief, that's what this entire podcast, mm. we feel so much more comfort when someone else says yes yeah, oh my yeah. god that happened to me too well I noticed that hugely when I released the book um, the amount of people who came back to me and was like thank you I was just diagnosed with BPD and mm. everything you're saying yeah. I'm like at least I'm not crazy that's you wonderful. know so and I think that's because I was honest with things I did when I was younger you know stuff that it maybe I think oh god people are going to think what the hell you know if she did this and she mm. did that but it's what I did and yeah. it, it's a huge part of borderline personality disorder so when people read that and saw how kind of reckless I was and how wild and kind of you know uh, never thought of you know um, the circumstances behind things or what the consequence would yeah. be I think when people read that they realised mm. you know okay this is it's a proper illness. I'm. I'm not just. Yeah. I'm not just bad. You know. Mm. I'm, I'm actually. I'm I not think well. That's like the yeah. heart of what I was yeah. saying. The yeah. bad. You're bad. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. But I think also honesty is a huge mm. thing. Mm. And the more honest you are about how you feel and really what's happening to you in grief or in you know with BPD or whatever, that you'll get a much more positive reaction because it yeah. gives, it allows people to tell the truth back mm-hmm. and say this is exactly how I feel or this yeah. is exactly what. 
I'm going through. Well, it's like you both would know um, with, you know, having kids that as soon as a new mother comes along and you, <laughs> they say, so what is it like? And you go, terrible. It's like, it's the worst thing in the world. They, they kind of, they love that because it's like, okay, yeah, you're being yeah, honest. Yeah, like you're yeah. not saying it's a fairy tale <laughs> yeah. and it's the best thing in the world. Yeah. So honestly, I think throughout, no matter mm. what it is, you feel, because straight away you feel it's not just me. Mm. You know, there are Same other people feeling the same. Oh, let stop. me give you the, the full details for after. I remember telling somebody that like some of the sort of things she really needs to know for yeah. afterwards and she was like a few weeks later thank you so much for telling me that nobody yeah, told me yeah, that yeah, yeah. it was all rosy in the garden no <laughs> no, really. no no no, no. Yeah. do you feel that <laughs> authenticity since you have become gone public you're being authentic in public so you've mm. put it out mm. there do you feel freer yeah absolutely I feel I'm not kind of hiding anymore because I very much had two personas growing up and especially with the career that I chose because I have a stage name so you know straight away I've got two completely different personas going on and it, it was hard to manage especially with borderline personality disorder so now that I'm kind of out there and everybody knows kind of you know, basically the nit- nitty gritty part um, mm. it's like I, okay this is me I mean there's been stuff in newspapers that have been hard to read but but, you know, you go, well, it's true. So what can I, I can't, mm. you know, what can I say? I just have to accept it. And you feel, yeah, you can be yourself a little mm. bit more and not have to pretend. Has so. that made it better? Has that made you feel better? Do you feel you get less sort of, what would you call them? Would you call them attacks or you get less bouts of... Yeah, it's uh, it'd be kind of like I feel that when I meet someone, I don't have to start a pretense and I don't have to, yeah. you know, start pretending it's straight away. Yeah. yeah, it's like this is me. And a lot of times I'll say, you know, the minute I meet someone, you know, OK, not straight away. Hi, I've got borderline personality disorder. Yeah. But I mean, very quickly into it, I will say, you know, look, here's my story and lay it out there. So nobody will ever say, you know, God, she hid that well. Whereas for years, mm. you know, people, when they found out when I had my uh, mental breakdown, people were like, oh, my God, I never knew. You know, you were so happy. You were so this mm. because it was just big act but isn't that so brilliant what you're saying that like they hide it so well that's mm. considered like a badge of honour in this country mm. yeah oh totally yeah if you yeah. hide your grief really mm. well oh my god you're mm. a, that's like it's that's Superhero. as good as yeah. you can get it's <laughs> yeah. to not show your grief yeah. yeah you know if you don't show your mental disorder yeah. like oh my god you're phenomenal like, yeah I remember people complimenting me on like you're just being so strong and you're like but what if (laughs) what if I was myself and I told you that I'm not or you had a hidden camera for behind (laughs) yeah yeah. the thing about that as well when you're saying about going out and being out and just like you know because I've done it as well Mm -hmm. because it's just it's an escapism of just not being at home on your own basically on a sort of a Saturday just going like okay we used to always cook dinner and we used to do this we used to do that or you know and also just to forget about stuff but you still have to go home Mm -hmm. and you still have to suddenly go home to an empty house or go home to maybe next day without your dad or whatever Yeah. did you get any sort of oh look I've just seen Nikki out she's great she's in great form she's flying Mm -hmm. but then you go home and the hardest part I find is that when you're behind closed doors and nobody can really see what you actually really are going through. Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of the contrast. Yeah, because I remember I was back on air a week later and I remember people saying, good God, you know, you're on and you sound so happy and upbeat and, and it's kind of like, you know, that's, the, job that's the job. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like that, then I'd go home, put mm. his dressing gown on and cry myself to sleep, mm. you know, so it's so different. But you do, you feel, and I don't know if it is just an Irish thing, but you really feel you have to be above the grief. You, yeah. have, to, you have to be bigger than it. 
And you know? grief is this weakness that you've yeah. succumbed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So strange. Which just mm. compounds it and makes it so that Worse. it takes yeah. a year for you to process yeah. stuff. Mm. So, you know. But I think you're really touching on there is that we should be checking in with people even if they appear to be brilliant and they mm. appear to be happy and they appear to be strong. Or perhaps more so if yeah. they do appear yeah. to be because that sort of, I think, is the cover up for yeah, maybe. For so many Or things. for a lot of people that just haven't, they haven't got to the... Yeah the non-blurry sort of Mm -hmm. this isn't really happening to me part yeah 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 grief is just like you said it's so individual to to everybody but it's not normal for someone to bury someone close to them and then go woohoo you know that's that's not normal so if that's happening then you kind of have to say right there's something Mm -hmm. else going on here you know Nikki thank you so much for joining us and thank thank you you for the work you're doing around BPD because I remember when the person I love was diagnosed with it I had printed out pamphlets that I was trying so hard to understand it Mm -hmm. I'd never heard of it before yeah so the more people that don't have to kind of do these in, like these Google searches with the mm. more people that are reading about it from real people I think it's going to help a lot of I'm people I'm also might spot it in somebody else yeah. yeah exactly that's the hope which is yeah. mm. you know important Hold up what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 